So we've been working through the first part of the book of Acts over the past several weeks, and what we're doing is we're trying to trace the work of the Holy Spirit in the lives of people like you and me, how the Holy Spirit is empowering those people to live in love like Jesus and also continue the message and the mission of Jesus. Now, last week, we took a pick at a guy named Stephen, and Stephen was described as a man who was full of the Holy Spirit and faith. And we watched how he was empowered by the Holy Spirit to serve, to speak boldly, to take a, a powerful, bold stand. And then he was falsely accused of a bunch of things just like Jesus and was eventually stoned to death. That's kind of how his story ended. Before that, we actually saw Jesus promise that the Holy Spirit would come. And when the Holy Spirit did, it empowered people like Stephen to continue on the, the mission, the ministry that Jesus had began. The followers of Jesus were multiplying rapidly. And as they did, they were doing things like they were gathering together to study uh, from the apostles' teaching and, and learning from them. They were worshiping together, praying together. They were eating meals in each other's home. They were celebrating the Lord's Supper, and they were serving those that were in need. The church was, was born. Now, when we saw Stephen, when we looked at his life, it, he kind of just emerged out of nowhere. Like Acts 6 introduced Stephen. There's no background. You're like, okay, where'd this guy come from? And also that exact thing happened to another man that we're going to look at his life. And that guy's name is Saul. Saul kind of appears at the end of Acts 7 and the first part of chapter 8. Look what Acts records. Luke records this. Acts 7:58 says, the witnesses... Not just those people who saw what happened to Stephen, but no, these are the people who were participating in chucking rocks at Stephen, okay? Those people, they laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. In verse eight, or chapter eight, verse one says, Saul approved of their killing of Stephen. You know, who is this guy named Saul who just kind of emerges out of nowhere? Well, I think it'd be important for us to spend some time understanding that today. First of all, Saul was born in the year AD 4. He was born into a Jewish family, and he's probably in his mid-30s when Luke describes him as a young man. Now, 30 is looking younger every day, let me just say, all right? And so that's where we meet this man named Saul, right? His father was most likely a Pharisee, according to Acts 23, verse 6. Saul was born in the tribe of Benjamin, and he was named after the most prominent member of that tribe, who was the first king of Israel, King Saul. His family was most likely taken from where they lived in Galilee to this town of Tarsus, where he's actually known to be from. They were probably taken there as prisoners of war. Eventually, they were freed, and they were given Roman citizenship. And that provided this guy named Saul lots of benefits all throughout the rest of his life. Having both Jewish upbringing and Roman citizenship was really significant, and it'll come in really useful in this guy's life in the future. Around the age of 15, Saul probably moved from Tarsus to Jerusalem, where he was entered into the, the following of a guy named Gamaliel. Gamaliel was one of the chief rabbis at the time. He was part of the Sanhedrin. He was really well known for his high moral standards, as well as his keen interpretations of scripture. And this might've been the fertile ground for this young man named Saul to become so zealous in his faith. He was passionate and even dogmatic about uh, applying and obeying the Old Testament law. And he also had a very strong objection to Jesus being the Messiah. Here are some of the statements that Saul made himself. He said this, 
I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, and as for righteousness based on obedience to the law, faultless. Paul also said these words, I was convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And that's what I did in Jerusalem. On the authority of the chief priest, Saul says, I put many of the Lord's people in prison, and when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Many a time I went from one synagogue to another to have them punished, and I tried to force them to blaspheme. I was so obsessed with persecuting them that I even hunted them down in foreign cities. That's where we find this guy named Saul in Acts 7 and in Acts 8. He actually helped stone Stephen. He then watched godly men pick up Stephen's dead body and bury him. There was a deep sense of mourning at the loss of Stephen. Next 1b records this. A great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all the believers except the apostles scattered all throughout Judea and Samaria. As these believers were going all over the world, they were witnesses for Jesus. And they shared the truth about him everywhere they went. Acts 8 records a, a guy named Philip who was actually appointed just like Stephen to serve the widows. He went to a place in Samaria and all the surrounding areas preaching boldly about the truth of Jesus. He was sharing the good news about Jesus everywhere and it was happening. The good news was spreading. I like when the Bible does these things. Let me show you an example of something cool the Bible does. Acts 1.8. It reads, Jesus speaking here, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And then Acts 8.1, look at the two numbers there. They're just reversed. Look what it shows it happening, right? A great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. That's how the gospel was spreading under these circumstances. And at the same time, this is what's happening in this guy named Saul's life. I want you to follow along with me in Acts chapter 9. If you have a copy of the Bible yourself, or you can use the one in the pew back in front of you or on a device, let's uh, pick up reading now in Acts chapter 9, verses 1 and 2. Luke says this, Meanwhile, meaning as this persecution of the church is happening, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciple. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found there anyone who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. Saul is described by Luke as a roaring, ravaging animal who really had one goal in mind, and that was to eradicate anyone who said that they were a follower of Jesus. He had permission from Caiaphas, the high priest, to go anywhere and arrest anyone who said they were part of the way. I love that the title given to this rapidly multiplying gathering of Christ's followers is that phrase, the way. It literally comes from Jesus' own statement in John 14, 6, when Jesus declares, I am the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. What the Saul and the other Jewish leaders tended to make a scornful label is actually a powerful description of these people who are living in the way of Jesus, who are loving the way of Jesus, who are continuing the way of his mission and ministry moving forward. Following Jesus is a great way of believing and it's also a great way of living. Let's continue to read what Luke records next, verse three. As he, meaning Paul, 
near Damascus on, or Saul, as he entered Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Saul asked, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Damascus was about 150 miles from Jerusalem. It took about four to six days to travel there in the ancient world. There was a large population of Jews living in Damascus because they had fled there from Jerusalem because they were being persecuted. And Saul was about a half-day journey from reaching Damascus. I don't know what it's like when you're traveling with your family, but when I travel with my family, the first thing I do is I punch in the destination on my phone, the GPS. And the second thing is I do is I set a goal to beat the arrival time. If it tells me I can be in Lexington, Kentucky in three hours, I'm gonna try to land in there a little bit under three hours, right? I mean, that's just something. And if one of my family members needs a potty break, It breaks my mojo, you know, like I've got to beat this time, right? They know I'm fixated on that, right? I'm not very fun to travel with under those circumstances, right? Saul was a half day's journey, which probably meant he'd been traveling like four or five days, almost there, and all of a sudden, wham, he sees a bright light from heaven. It's midday. The the light was so bright, it 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 was noticed even in pure sunlight. Not only did he just see something, he heard something. And this something asked Saul a question. He said, why are you persecuting me? It was interesting that in this moment that God is speaking because any good Jewish person would have known. If they heard a voice from heaven, they should assume it is the voice of God. The voice said, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And Saul's response is like, who are you? He says, are you the Lord? It may have been a a polite response, like, who are you, sir? It could have been a reverent response. It probably was not a surrender to lordship in this moment, right? Whenever, Whenever God mentions a person's name twice, he's trying to get their attention. You shouldn't picture that he's speaking in anger. It's emotional, but it was intended to get Saul's attention, and it did. Saul thought he was serving God. He thought what he was doing by persecuting the church was actually doing God a favor. But he discovered that he was actually fighting against God. Here's the sad reality. This has been true throughout history. Often those convinced that they're doing God a favor do some of the worst persecution and torture ever practiced. And Saul then asked God a question. You know, most everybody has wanted to ask God a question. In fact, Gallup pollster, they, they, they asked people, what are some questions you would like to ask God? And some questions bubble up to the top. One is this, will there ever be lasting world peace? The second top question to ask God was this, how can I be a better person? A third was, what does the future hold for my family and I? Will there ever be a cure for all diseases? And finally, why is there suffering? That Gallup poll was happening back in the 1990s, and I don't know that there are any different questions that we may be asking today in 2021. Saul asked, who are you in this moment? My red letter edition of the Bible gives me a big hint, a big clue, right? It's Jesus that's talking, because all of his words are indicated in red. 
Saul guessed correctly that he was in the presence of God right there on the road of Damascus. I just want you to be warned that God can meet you anywhere while you're doing anything, even on the way to do it. Maybe that's scary, right? But Saul had most likely heard this voice before. It was the voice of Jesus. Many scholars believe that Saul, who was a Pharisee, was also part of the Sanhedrin and probably heard Jesus teaching in Jerusalem. He possibly even could have been involved in the trial as well as the sentencing to crucifixion of Jesus. That puts a whole, why are you persecuting me dimension that you may not have thought of before, right? I wondered this past week as I studied this passage, what was the disconnect for Paul? Why did he struggle so much in in pursuing Jesus as Messiah and, and believing that? And I think it all boiled down to the cross. Saul would have never thought in his mind that the Messiah would have ended up on a cross because Old Testament law, Deuteronomy 21, 23, indicates that anybody that was hung on a cross was cursed by God. And certainly the Messiah wouldn't have been cursed by God, right? The idea of a crucified Messiah was a stumbling block to many Jews. But now the crucified Jesus had risen and was appearing to Saul in person. James Boyce, a commentator, says this, unless Saul was hallucinating, the appearance of Jesus on the road to Damascus that day proved that Jesus was alive and that Jesus was God. Jesus appeared to Saul that day not to haunt him, but actually to extend to him salvation and to get him on mission. Let's continue reading now in verse six. Jesus said, get up and go into the city and you'll be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the noise, but they did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and he did not eat or drink anything. This was the first of many obedient steps that Saul would take in his life after encountering the risen Jesus. The blindness, I think, that he was experienced physically, I think it's a strong allusion to the spiritual blindness that Saul had been walking in for many years. He was going to see the light soon. The other men that were with Saul that day, they saw what was happening and they helped him follow the directions. Now continue reading verse 10. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called him in a vision. Ananias? Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he's done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he's come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, brother Saul, the Lord, Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Can you feel the tension in this moment for this guy named Ananias? Saul had a well-known reputation. Word had gotten out that he was on his way to bring lots of harm to anyone who was part of the way. 
But Ananias was the very first person to hear the plans that God had for Saul. I think that's why it's so beneficial for us to do life with others. God has designed us for community with him or communion with him, but also community with each other. We believe that living and loving like Jesus hinges on the reality of us being with God, but also being with others. That's why we created the roadmap. Maybe you've heard about the roadmap over the past couple of weeks. Maybe you've missed all the attention we're pointing to with the roadmap. The roadmap is a, a, a platform that we created here at Crossroads to help all of us live in love like Jesus by being with God, being with others, and being sent. There may be somebody here today who has not yet subscribed to the roadmap, and I would encourage you to do that right now. You can take a picture of that QR code, or you can simply go to cccgo.com forward slash roadmap. The roadmap is designed to help you be with God, be with others, and be sent. And under the be with others section of this, there's a place for you to discover how you can be with others. You can find support. You can invite accountability. You can grow with others. When that happens, you not only have an opportunity to do life with others, but they have the opportunity to see in you something that you may not have seen in yourself. I call those moments, I see in you. I'm so very grateful that I have a set of parents who saw in me something that I probably would have maybe never seen on my own. And through their loving support and encouragement and coaching, They help that not be squashed in my life, but to be fanned into flame. I'm so grateful for teachers I had along all the way, from the time I was in kindergarten all the way till I finished my master's, who saw in me something that I may have not seen in myself. They breathed life into me and wind in my sails and affirmed the things that God was doing in my life. I'm grateful to be part of a community of faith like Crossroads, where people can see in me something that I may never see in myself and breathe life into me. You need those type of people in your life. And by being in a source of community, like a small group or a support group, you can find and receive that support. People will see in you something you may never see in yourself. You also are all those type of people. To speak into your children, to speak into your neighbor, to speak into someone else in your small group, what you see God doing in their life, and it can change their life. It did for a person named Saul. Ananias was being sent to Saul to tell Saul that he was being sent. I love the full circle of that, right? And it haunts me to think, what if he hadn't? What if Ananias was not willing to choke down the fears he had and say, God, you're asking me to go and talk to this guy named Saul? If he never would have, then maybe Saul would have never come to faith in Christ. Maybe Saul would have never become that chosen instrument that God says, I've picked this guy to take the good news of the gospel to the rest of the the world, to the Gentiles. And if he never did, you and I may have never heard about the gospel of Jesus. I can't pass up this moment to point out another one of those things about the Bible. Where did Ananias go to find Saul? He went to Straight Street, right? I mean, doesn't that just like... That's what Paul, what Saul was getting ready to figure out, right? He was getting ready to get on the straight and narrow, my friend, right? And it, it's, I think what Proverbs is talking about when it says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, meaning God, and he'll make your path what? Straight. Well, let's see what happened now in verse 17. 
says that uh, Ananias went to the house and entered it. He placed his hands on Saul and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, he sent me to you so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. What didn't make sense to Saul earlier was now becoming very clear. I think that's why Hebrews 11.1 says that faith is being confident of what we hope for and assured about what we do not see. Despite his stated concerns and his fears, Ananias extended the love of God to Saul in many tangible ways. He placed his hands on him, just like the apostles had placed their hands on Stephen and the other six to appoint them for serving others. Ananias called Saul brother. That's really significant. He was welcoming him into the family of God, and he healed his blindness through the power of the Holy Spirit. While we don't have any more details recorded about all the things that happened to Saul from the moment he was blinded to the moment he received his sight, we don't have a lot of details about the conversation that Ananias had with Saul. One thing we do know, how Saul responded. He was baptized. You know, often I have a lot of people who wanna argue with me about like, what saves a person? And how does baptism fit into that? I think it's always been clear why a person is baptized, and that is because they want to be a follower of Jesus. Baptism is an outward expression of inward faith. It's a step of obedience on the part of anyone who by faith is accepting Jesus to be their savior and receiving the free gift of salvation God has offered, as well as declaring that Jesus is Lord of their lives. Baptism is a powerful way to demonstrate our faith in Jesus. It is an identification with Christ. That's why we practice immersion here at Crossroads, because we think it's a great way to follow the example of Jesus being dead, buried, and brought back to life. It's also an obedience to his command. Baptism requires that a person is able to understand the good news of Jesus, to be repentant for the sins that they've committed in their life, and be willing to make a decision that they want to follow Jesus as Lord of their life, to declare that Jesus is the Son of God and that they believe that with all their heart. The question, what saves us, is actually really the wrong question. It's not a what, it's a who. Who saves us? And that's Jesus. After years of denying Jesus and thinking that he could be good enough just by obeying the law, Saul now realized that he the only way for salvation is to be found in Jesus alone. And so he surrendered his life to him. Saul's conversion reminds us, at its core, salvation is something that God does in us. What we do is all a response to his work in us. So I wonder, have you come to realize that maybe you were headed in this direction, thinking you knew where you were going, all to realize you were headed in the complete wrong direction? And that God is leading you this way. And it's time for you to come to your senses. Maybe what God is doing is trying to get your attention. He's trying to ring your bell. By Saul, he tried to 
blind him so that he would point him in the right direction. Maybe for you it's the loss of a job. Maybe it's the conflict in a relationship. Maybe it's the sense that everything around you seems to be crashing and burning. It might be God trying to get your attention to show you how much he loves you, to show you what plan he has for your life. And by walking in the way he's leading, you'll find him. I wonder if you're ready to make a decision like that to recognize that Jesus is the only way for salvation and that you want to place your faith in him. Or maybe you've done that before, but you've never declared that by being baptized by immersion. We have good news for you. First of all, we'd love to walk along that journey with you. And next weekend in our weekend gatherings, we're actually gonna have a baptism service. Not because we've been storing up a bunch of people who wanna be baptized so that we can have a big weekend next weekend. That's not our approach here at Crossroads. We have baptism celebrations every so often to help you who've never been baptized take that step, to celebrate that with you. And I would encourage you, if you're interested in following Jesus, or if you've never taken that step of baptism, go to the roadmap and begin with the getting started button. When you click on that, you'll be able to walk through who is Jesus and why he's worthy of your worship, but also your surrender. It'll also explain to you what baptism is about and give you a chance to raise your hand and say, I'd like to do that. You can click on a, I wanna be baptized and we'll come alongside you and, and maybe next weekend is the time for you. We'd love to help you schedule that. You can find out more information at the roadmap or at cccgo.com info or just text the word baptism to 812-858-8668. I wanna be clear though that baptism is not the end of the journey. In fact, it's probably more like toward the beginning. It's not the destination, it's a launching pad. How do I know that? Well, look at the life of Paul. It didn't end the moment he was baptized. Let's continue reading now in the second part of verse 19. It says, Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. And once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. And all that heard him were astonished and asked, isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on his name? Hasn't he come here to take us prisoners to the chief priest? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful. He baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. Paul immediately began sharing what he had come to realize about Jesus, that he is the son of God. After having an encounter with Jesus, he was convinced fully and boldly proclaimed this truth everywhere he went. The reaction by many was a head scratcher. Isn't this the guy who was like persecuting the church? Now he's proclaiming Jesus? What had happened is the hunter had become the hunted. Others, they just weren't really impressed and they plotted to kill Saul. The persecutor is now becoming the persecuted. He was able to escape one of those death threats. He, he, his friends put him in a basket and lowered him through a hole in the wall to his safety. This isn't the end of Saul proclaiming the gospel, and it certainly isn't the end of the persecution he would face. Pastor and author David Guzek says this, Saul's conversion reminds us that God, God finds some who, by all appearances, are not looking for him at all. And seeing how God reached Saul encourages us to believe that God can reach people in our lives that we think are very far from him. We often give up on some people and think they'll never come to Jesus. But the example of Saul shows God can reach anyone. Amen? 
Uh, we listen to a lot of Christian music in our cars we travel as a family. And a lot of that has to do with our son who loves Christian music. In fact, it's a little annoying, but anytime we're listening to anything other than Christian, he stands in the backseat and just says, not Christian, not Christian, not Christian, until we turn it, all right? I'm just telling you, it's a little annoying, but he keeps us, I guess, on the straight and narrow, right? Well, because of his love for Christian music, on uh, July 4th, we went down to Madisonville to a Christian concert by a guy named Zach Williams. And it was a great show. It was a great way to spend the 4th of July. And that concert, Zach uh, just presented lots of music off his newest album, and it's called Rescue Story. Every song on that album is about Zach Williams' story, about God reaching him at a very desperate, dark place, bringing hope and salvation to his life and the change that's happened since. I, I couldn't help with, without reading some of the words of that song, Rescue Story, Zach Williams says this, there I was, empty-handed, crying out from the pit of my despair, and there you were, in the shadows, holding out your hand, you met me there. And now, where would I be without you? Where would I be, Jesus? You were the voice in the desert, calling me out in the dead of night, fighting my battles for me, you are my rescue story. You lifted me up from the ashes, you carried my soul from death to life. Bringing me from glory to glory, you are my rescue story. The bridge of that song says this, you never gave up on me. You never gave up on me. You are my testimony. You never gave up on me. You never gave up on me. You are my testimony. Saul shared his rescue story many times of how he had encountered Jesus, how he had received salvation, and he boldly proclaimed that truth about Jesus everywhere he went. In fact, his rescue story is recorded various places throughout the New Testament, two places in the rest of the book of Acts, Acts 22 and Acts 26, and also just littered throughout the rest of the books of the New Testament. Another shameless plug for the roadmap is this. You have a story, and I would encourage you just to Jump on the, the beam with others and, and multiplying your influence action step because under there are tools to help you write your story. To be able to describe not in a novel, but in a three-minute statement, like what your life was like before you met Jesus and what your life is like now having met Jesus. It's what Zach Williams was writing about. It's what Saul was writing about and people need to hear your story. I benefit from getting to preached twice every Sunday, right? And after the nine o'clock service, a man named Rob came up and he says, you told my story today. My name's Rob, it's not Saul, but that's my story. God met me at a deep, dark place and he's rescued me. I'll never be the same. I hope he shares that story everywhere he goes. That's what I encouraged him to do and what I prayed for him to do as well. You have to realize that this is a pivotal moment in the book of Acts. At this moment, it marks the progression of the Holy Spirit empowering people to take the gospel to the Gentiles, taking the gospel from Judea to Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And Saul was a major player in this happening. If Stephen was an example that we looked at last week of just that good old guy who's like full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit, never disobeyed his parents, always got straight A's and just like, it seemed to come natural and easy for him. Saul is the opposite of that. He blew it. 
He was headed the, all, the exact opposite direction, right? And God rescued him. And that gives the rest of us a lot of hope. That no matter what we've done, no matter where we've been or no matter where we might be headed today, God is reaching out for us. He's trying to get our attention. He will use anything he can to ring our bell so that we don't go to hell. And my hope is that you're beginning to listen right now. I've intentionally tried, and I've not been real successful, to only use the name Saul throughout this sermon because the person that Luke is describing as this murderous persecutor, his name was Saul. And that name stays the same even when he becomes this rescued proclaimer, all the way up until you get to chapter 13 of Acts, where Luke makes this just casual comment, Saul, who was also called Paul. I've heard many a good sermon that says, like, on that day on the road to Damascus, Saul was walking the wrong direction, God turned him and gave him a new name, his name is Paul now. That's a beautiful sermon, it's just not biblical. It actually has no substantial evidence in Scripture that's what happened. What actually happened is that Saul is the Hebrew name given to this man, and Paul is the Greek name given to the exact same man. They're the exact same person, and if it was changed that moment, then Luke would have not used the name Saul ever again, but he keeps using it, and nonchalantly just says, Saul, Paul, you know, same guy. I feel the same about Phil or Philip. It's the same person. I, I started going by Phil after high school, and my wife now knows. If anybody calls me Philip, they know, she knows they knew me before I graduated high school, if it's Phil since then, right? Even funnier than that is when we go to Kenya often, we meet people who've had a rescue story. They've been following false gods or just made a mess of their life, and they come to know Jesus, and the first thing they do is they take a Christian name. A lot of times their names are Maasai names that we know, and like they have lots of consonants and lots of syllables, and they're hard to pronounce, right? But when they come to faith in Christ, they look in the Bible and they choose a Christian name. So there's a lot of Stevens, there's a lot of James, there's a lot of Timothys. And we met a guy named Sermon one time. Like, scratch your head, like, oh, okay. But you know, ever since I met Sermon, what I've never forgot is that all of our names should probably be Sermon, right? Shouldn't we all be a story, an indicator, a bold message of what has happened in our life, that our life was once like this, and then we met Jesus, and our life has never been the same, and it shouldn't ever be the same, right? So why did Saul start going by Paul? Well, it could be that he just wanted to be able to relate to the people he was going to, the Gentiles. They might not have been able to understand Saul, but they knew Paul because he spoke their language. I think bigger than that, that Paul wanted to make sure that everybody knew he was not the same dude, that his life had been transformed through the power of the Holy Spirit and the good news of Jesus Christ. And so he chose to call himself Paul because he wanted to declare what had happened in his life. And that's why he wrote these words, 2 Corinthians 5. Paul says, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. A new creation has come. The old is gone, but the new is here. And all this is from God, Paul says, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us a ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, amen? And he committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. So we implore you on Christ's behalf, Paul says, be reconciled to God. Then he makes that very 
truthful, foundational statement. God made him, made in Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I think that pretty much sums up Paul's life. That's his rescue story. He had an encounter with God. He fully embraced the love of God through Jesus. He also experienced the power of community through strengthening of fellow Christ followers like Ananias, and there's a whole host of other people who saw in Saul something he may never have seen in himself. And then he was sent on a mission as an ambassador of God on God's behalf, imploring others to be reconciled with God. The question I want you to answer today is what is your story? Have you come to the realization that by being good enough, you'll never meet the expectation? Have you come to realize that as all the things that you might be chasing, there's only one thing that truly satisfies? It's not a something, it's a someone, and his name is Jesus. He is truly the son of God, which means he is fully God. He became fully man so that he could take your place and take the punishment of your sins by dying in your spot. And because he did that, you can be free. You can be forgiven. You can experience grace that you will never find anywhere else. It's that, that, that love that we sang about earlier today that chases you down and finds you where you are, headed toward Damascus or headed to the pit of hell. And he cares that much about you that he extends to you salvation. He surrounds you with the encouragement and the support, and the challenge and coaching of godly people, and he puts in your hand the ball and says, you're part of the team, let's, let's keep after the mission. The life of Saul, also known as Paul, is a testimony of the power of the Holy Spirit at work. So my prayers, you'll let the Holy Spirit work in you, empower you as he writes your story. Would you pray with me? Man, God, I love your word. I thank you for the things that jump off the page. I thank you for the things I think I know and yet to discover maybe I have been way off base. I love the fresh revelation that your Holy Spirit brings as we study your word. I pray that that's happened today. And more than anything, God, my prayer is to every person here, especially those who have never embraced the love that you offer, I pray today they have felt your spirit reaching them. I pray that their bell is ringing in this moment and they're ready to bend their knee to claim you as the only way to live, the only way to be saved, the only one they want to love and follow and serve. God, I pray because who you are, you will lavish them with your love and grace. And also you will direct them into how to live and love like your son Jesus. It's why you sent him here. And God, my prayer is that all of us who have accepted Jesus as our savior and claimed him as our Lord, we would live like it. And we would have a story to tell that it wouldn't be made up or fictionized. It would be just an awesome declaration of what our life was before and how much different it is now, all because of you. God, I pray that you would make our story our our sermon. And God, I pray that people would come to know you because of that. And I pray that through the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.